Well, welcome to week two of Who's the Boss? Um, we are spending three weeks looking at this theme and as we answer this question for, for us, who is the boss in my life? Now, the problem is we all want to be boss, don't we? Our toddlers want to be the boss. They go, well, I don't want to go to bed yet. I'm not tired. Our teenagers want to be the boss because, well, they know everything and they want their independence. Um, but we want to be the boss in our own home, in our workplaces, and importantly in our lives. But therein lies the problem. Because sometimes when we are the boss, we don't do things the, one, the way the one who is truly in charge, God, wants us to do. And we are looking at this theme through the lens um, of some of the kings of Israel and Judah. Now remember, we get our information about from the, this time of history in Israel from a few primary sources. First of all, we start in um, First and Second Samuel, which kind of follows straight after by First and Second Kings. But parallel to this, you actually have the books of First and Second Chronicles, which actually sort of covers it from a different perspective. So we've actually got quite a bit of information about this time in Israel, and we we do hear a, we hear about it a lot, and we've got a lot of information we can read about. And last week we kicked off this series by uh, looking at a king that not many of us may have really known, Zedekiah, who was the last king of Judah and who refused to humble himself before God and in doing so brought pain and consequence upon himself and his family. And today we're going to look at someone a lot earlier in, in the scheme of things and from a very well-known family. So let's look at a little history. Who, who can remember who the first king of Israel was? Saul. Okay. So Saul was the first king selected through Samuel. Um, Israel wanted to be like other nations, as we talked about last week. Before that, they'd been ruled by God through the, uh, the judges and prophets, but Israel wanted to be like other nations and have a king over them. And so Saul was picked. Even though Saul served a long time, he basically dropped the pall. He actually stopped following God and, and really by the end of his life, he, he didn't really know God. He wasn't very close to God at all. And, and so instead of passing the crown onto his own son, Jonathan, it actually went to his best friend, the shepherd boy that defeated Goliath, whose name was David. Um, so David became the next king. And David had a number of sons and one of them was a really smart guy and he became the next king of Israel and he was Solomon and he grew the nation built the temple wrote large parts of the book of Proverbs and then we come to the fourth king who is some of you kind of know but the thing is it's, it's up there on the screen but the thing is who's actually heard of Rehoboam before like it's, it's, he's sort of in there but he is the fourth king of of Israel but we don't know a lot about him. Some of us don't even know how to say his name. Um, and the thing is, and we're going to get to the reason for that today, but let's think about this for a second. Rehoboam's great-granddad granddad was King David. So when you think about that, King David who conquered around Israel, um, became king for, um, of um, Judah for 40 years over all of Israel for about just over 30, and... He ruled and he, he was a great warrior king. He was such a good warrior king that when David asked to build the temple, God said, there's too much blood on your hands. I don't want you doing that for me. 
And so he was a great warrior king. And so that was Rehoboam's granddad. So you know when, as you're growing up, you might go, you know what, I can brag about family. I, I'm, guess who I'm related to? Rehoboam, great-granddad David. But then his dad was Solomon. Solomon the wise. Solomon the one who actually extended the king, kingdom through trade and, and negotiations and solved disputes with great sort of wisdom. That was his dad. You would have to think that the expectation on Rehoboam was pretty high. What did you think? Like, oh yeah, my, 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 great grand, my granddad was David, my, my dad was Solomon, and now I'm going to take the reins and I'm going to press on and make my name for myself. He came from a good line, a good family. Israel was a land of it, which was experiencing incredible prosperity at that time. Solomon had done well to build up the land. He came from the best situation and yet we barely know who this guy is. Something went wrong and Rehoboam ended up somewhere he never expected to be. He ended up ruling for about half as long as all the previous kings and ended up at the end of his life as, and at the end of his career as king, and I'm going to use this phrase a little bit today, with his head in his hands. Now I'm not talking about, you know when someone does something really dumb around you, you sort of do that and we sort of go, and that's actually representative of what they do. I'm talking about how we are at a point, whether socially, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, where we are so overwhelmed that we are sort of so downcast that we put our head in our hands. Maybe it's out of shame, maybe it's out of disappointment, maybe it's out of a whole lot of like, frustration that we find ourselves going, how did I get to this point in my life? How did I do this? And that was what Rehoboam was wondering. How did I get here? At the end of his life, he was wondering, what did I do wrong to get to this point? Now, Rehoboam may not be the most recognisable uh, king, but he more than made up for it in his relatability. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today, how we can really relate to this guy. Um, because we can find ourselves asking uh, ourselves that question, because we can be asking, um, how did I get here? Um, how is this possible? This is not where I intended to end up. And you get to that place where you're left questioning yourself, what was I thinking? Some of you might be there right now. Some of you might be there in the future. Some of you may have come out of that where you're kind of wondering, what, what, what was I thinking to sort of take that path and end up in that direction? So today we're going to look at that through the, the, the lens of King Rehoboam's life. So we're going to sort of um, pick up the story in Second Chronicles 10 uh, that Elaine started reading for us. And, and so basically, um, Rehoboam became king, or was, was about to become king. His dad had died, and he was actually on his way to Shechem, which was an important city in the north part, northern part of Israel. So it wasn't in Jerusalem. It was more central to all of Israel. So the whole of Israel would be able to recognize him as king. So he was on his way there. And Jeroboam, so you've got Rehoboam and you've got Jeroboam. So they're not the same guy, they're two different guys. Jeroboam used to work um, organising and managing all the, the, the workers in the northern kingdom. And basically there was a prophet who came along and he sort of said, this guy manages so well, and uh, he basically prophesied because of Solomon um, that he would actually rule the northern tribes of Israel. 
So what happened? Solomon, again, wanting his crown to go to his son. He wanted all of Israel to be under the, the rule of his son. Did what any sort of, um, I suppose, natural king at that point in time would do. Put out a hit on Jeroboam. He basically said, I'm going to capture this guy. I'm going to execute this guy. And Jeroboam did the only thing that any sane man would do. He ran away. He ran away to another kingdom and basically lived there. So he was in Egypt. And when he heard that Solomon had died and that um, Rehoboam was going to be king, he came back from Egypt and basically um, got to this point where he was meeting with Solomon and all the other leaders of Israel uh, at Shechem. And they basically came up and sort of said, oh, now, Rehoboam, your father was a hard taskmaster. If you lighten our loads and, and, and basically listen to us, then we will be your loyal subjects. Now, again, you sort of may go, well, that sounds like a reasonable thing to ask, but what you need to understand that that was actually really an ultimatum. The leaders of Israel were putting a, an ultimatum to this newly, well, wasn't even crowned king yet, this new person that was going to become king, saying, we will follow you only if you sort of, I suppose, take the, 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 your hand, the hard hand off us a little bit. We will follow you, but we won't, we won't live like we did under Solomon. We'll, we'll find our own way. We won't follow after you. So Rehoboam said, he asked for three days to think about it, and he sent the people away. So again, it seems... Everything is reasonable to this point in time. And he discussed it with his father's counsellors. And their advice came. He said, if you are good to these people, they will be loyal. If you actually give them what they want, they'll work hard for you, they'll do what they want, they'll be loyal, they'll be following you. And again, if, the, if that chapter finished right there and Solomon and Rehoboam followed after that advice, we'd probably see a quite a different sort of outcome in the life of Rehoboam. But there was something in Rehoboam's heart at this point in time that, that we don't actually see until a little bit later, that he was actually seeking an answer that he already had. He already had his idea in his heart, and he was basically wanting someone to confirm that. Have you ever done that? You're sort of, you sort of shop around for advice until someone actually says exactly what you've been thinking all along. Hey, should I get this? No, that's horrible colour on you. Hey, should I get this? No, that, that, that won't suit you at all. Hey, should I get this? Yeah, you should go for it. Oh, yes, I've got the advice I wanted. It agrees with my internal sort of thing that I, I desired, and I'm going to go after it. Well, that's what Rehoboam was thinking. The, the, the older counsels of his father, so the people that counseled the wisest person on the earth, he ignored them. And he went to his mates. Now, the thing is, when growing up, like one thing I realised is that my good mates... They knew, and I suppose you don't find this in marriage, you, you find that people know what your desire is. So, like, you might be going, oh, hey, guys, we're going to go out for dinner. And they might know you hate spicy food. So they're not going to suggest, like, uh, a, a hot Indian place or, like, um, even KFC's hot and spicy chicken might be too much for you. So, so they go, let's go here instead. So they, they know what you want. And you go, oh, yeah, that, I'm happy to go with that choice because... They know your heart. Well, Rehoboam's mates, they knew his heart. They knew what he was wanting. He must have talked about what kind of king he wanted to be and, and what he was wanting in life. And so we actually pick it up in verse 8 um, of Second Chronicles 10. But Rehoboam rejected the advice of the older men and instead asked the opinion of the young men who had grown up with him 
and were now his advisors. So the thing is, sometimes your mates are not the best people to advise you in your life. Like, um, I, like I have some mates in my, in my life that I go, looking at their life, and I go, I'm not going to seek them out for things, like um, to improve mine. There might be people I look around and go, oh, they're doing that really well. I'm going to seek them out for advice and, and re take on that on board. But some of my mates, they're just in the, as much in the dark as I am at times. And, going, and so you've got to seek out people that um, know what they're doing. It's like parents going to, going to their single friends asking for advice about children. They will have an ideal piece of advice for you that doesn't work in reality at all. Okay. Oh, do you know what I'd do if I was a parent? I would do this, this and this. And you go, here, take my kids for a weekend and see how that works out. Um, in fact, take them for a week and you'll come back with a totally different opinion. Like, so you don't go to people that don't know anything for that advice. But that's exactly what Rehoboam did. Because as I said, his heart, was set, his heart was set elsewhere and he was looking for confirmation what, would, what was in his heart and mind from his friends. And we pick up at 2 Chronicles 10, uh, 10 and verse, 10, verse 10 and 11. And the young men replied, This is what you should tell those complainers who want a lighter burden. My little finger, th finger is thicker than my father's waist. Yes, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I am going to make them even heavier. Your father beat you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions. Okay, for those who are employers, don't use that speech. Okay, like going last week, I made you work really hard. This week, I'm going to go find dangerous animals and I'm going to beat you with them. Okay, not going to bring out the best motivation. But the thing is, right at the beginning, the young men sort of said, Rehoboam, don't listen to these complainers. They're just whingers. They're just whinging about what they, they want in life. Don't listen to them. You are the king. You are the boss. You should be telling them what they should be doing and they should be happy about it. But Rehoboam listened to his mates. He had actually found the advice that he wanted to hear and the people of the north, of course, didn't like it. And so the ten northern tribes um, which, um, formed Israel, because that was, that was most of Israel. They actually took the name Israel and with Jeroboam, he, and they made him king. Exactly how um, the prophet had said would happen, the, the nation of Israel split. Rehoboam was left with two tribes, Benjamin and Judah, and it got called Judah. And basically he got that because Jerusalem was in the south. Jerusalem was in the south, and so he had the, the, the major city of, of Jerusalem. And so in one fell swoop, the nation was fractured. And this is the amazing thing. This is part of the reason why we don't hear much about Rehoboam. We had King Saul, who was a pretty good warrior. He ruled for a long time. King David, an amazing warrior king. Solomon, wise, and again extended the boundaries of their kingdom. In the first two years that Rehoboam was, who reigned, he actually lost 85% of his kingdom. Okay, so those who are thinking about it, if, you lost, if you've just bought a home and you lose 85% of it, you've probably got the tort and shower left over. That's all you've got. Okay? It's, it, you're not left with much. And you're kind of going, well, I'm not sure I can live here anymore. But Rehoboam had lost so much so quickly. David had increased the land. Solomon had increased the land. 
And from here, if you continue reading Rehoboam, it went from having been a land of prosperity into a land of conflict. Throughout his lifetime, there was civil war between um, the north and the south. This land that was God's country, this was God's people, all of a sudden fighting among each other. There, was, there were enemies within. This is what Rehoboam was, was remembered for. And Jeroboam, and Jeroboam wasn't a great king either. But because of Rehoboam's decision, because of what his heart was set on, all of a sudden this became his legacy. And on top of that, there was enemies from outside who basically saw the weakened state of Israel and Judah and said, we're going to invade as well. And so Egypt came through and they actually conquered a number of major cities of, of Judah that Rehoboam was holding on to. And he came to Jerusalem and, and, and Rehoboam had to make a treaty with them. He couldn't fight them. And so all of a sudden, so this is the thing, you go through. David said, I want to build a temple for you, God. And God says, no, your hands are too dirty. And so David then spent the rest of his life preparing the resources for Solomon to follow in his footsteps in that idea. And then Solomon spent seven years building the temple. And, and again, if you read about the temple, it was, um, had stuff put all over. There was gold, there was jewels, there was gems. There was all this precious stuff made. And then in the lifetime of Rehoboam, and this is when I was talking about precious. So the, the temple guards actually had shields made of gold. Now, probably not the most practical metal to actually wear, have as shields, but it was more ceremonial because as temple guards, they weren't expecting people to come in. But when the king of Egypt came through, he sort of said, I'm going to take those. And they took those, those fancy gold shields away. And so because Solomon went, oh, my guards still need something, they made... Um, um, shields out of uh, bronze and, and, and basically were left with this sort of a second tier sort of status. This was the legacy of Rehoboam. So that all being said, Rehoboam has lost so much and he's left with his head in his hands going, how do I get to this point? And I, I suppose that's the question I want us to ask today. Why did this happen? Why did this happen? And some of you may have read this passage before, you've heard it preached before, um, and you've read devotions about it before, and there, there are a number of different things you can take out of this. Like you can sort of take, you've got to take wise counsel when it comes. Rehoboam ignored the wise counsel, he took counsel of his mates. But the, the Second Chronicles actually says something different. It says that you could also have the idea, be careful who you listen to. Again, that's a really important lesson. The Bible does talk about that because, again, we live in a world that is speaking all kinds of things into our minds, into our, into our, like, through our eyes. Um, for those who have got tablets and phones, there is a lot of things that can get into your minds that way. So be careful who you listen to. Again, a really good point, but not what second, the writer of Second Chronicles um, lists as a reason. It could be you need to follow God's way. Rehoboam could have actually sort of said, asked us, said, God, I'm going to do things your way. I'm going to... You could have even had the idea of, uh, for those who uh, know about leadership, okay, Rehoboam needed to be a servant leader. He needed to serve his people rather than sort of be someone who was an authority over them. And again, that's something that's true. It's something that we need to have. But they're all good things to take on board. But the Bible actually tells us, the writer of Second Chronicles, through the inspiration of God, actually looks at the life of Rehoboam and says why. In 2 Chronicles 12, 14, he says, He did evil because he had not set his heart to seek the Lord 
And basically, what we've got to put in there, we could say, well, was it to seek the Lord's path? He, if he'd known God's way, like maybe he needed to rely on, on some of the um, wisdom that had been given to him. Maybe it was seek the Lord's values. Maybe it was seek the Lord's wisdom. His dad had written most of the book of Proverbs and he could sort of read that book back to front and sort of said, this is the wisdom of my father who got that from God. I should really need to be listening to this. Maybe it's to seek the Lord's glory. I want to lift God up and let him be glorified. No, it's simpler than all those put together. Second Chronicles 12, 14 says, He did evil because he had not set his heart to seek the Lord. That's it. Because he had not set his heart to seek the Lord. There was something else in his heart that he was either settling on or he was seeking and he was not seeking the Lord. Now, this becomes the statement that you need to hang on to. A heart not deliberately set on seeking the Lord will settle somewhere else. This talks about intentionality, to be deliberate about God, you are the one that I am seeking. And the thing is, what we need to realise is that when we settle somewhere else, we are trying to meet a desire in our lives through ways or means without God. And it could be something that we need. It could be we are looking for value in our life. We are looking for something to make ourselves more important. And we go, I can seek God or I can seek this other pathway and I'm going to see it happen. It doesn't actually say that what Rehoboam was actually seeking. All it says, he did evil because he did not seek God. And this is the thing, anything that we put in front of God, anything we put in front of knowing Him and following Him, all of a sudden becomes something that can take you away from where God wants you to be and more importantly, can get you to a place where you are left with your head in your hands. You are at a point of despair, you are at a point of going, I don't know what to do. You are questioning yourself, why did I get to this point? The sad fact of this is that too often though, we actually live our lives going, it's not my fault, it's their fault, it's the government's fault, it's this person's fault, it's the situation's fault, and we actually don't actually own this idea that we need to see God and to know him. And this becomes, I suppose, the whole point of Rehoboam's life, or the lessons that we can get from it, is that, yeah, Rehoboam, he... Again, some of us might make a few mistakes. Maybe we listen to the wrong people and we don't get into a bad, bad place. Maybe some of us, you know what, we, maybe we're a bit of a jerk, like Rehoboam was a jerk, but our life doesn't fall apart. Maybe for some of us, we, we need to be a bit more wise and at least listen to more people that are wise around us and we don't do it and we end up making some mistakes that, okay, all of a sudden we'll learn from, but don't destroy our lives. But I'll tell you this, if you do not seek the Lord, you will definitely end up at a place in your life with your head in your hands. And see, the thing is, we can do this actually apathetically. And what, what I mean by that is that sometimes, because we are not intentional about seeking God, because in finding out who He is and what He wants for us, and, and also who He says we are, that becomes a really important thing. That we need to find out who God says we are so that we know which way we should be walking and what we should be doing. 
because we're not intentional about it, all of a sudden we're kind of apathetic and we're sort of like a bit aimless. And all of a sudden, the things that flash up in life, that the bright lights of life attract our attention, and all of a sudden, we're like a moth towards a flame. And you know what? Flames are not good for moths. Okay? Like, they're not good for it. Yet they are attracted to it all the time. And the analogy fits. A lot of the things that attract us in life, that draw our attention, that jump up in front of us and go, ooh, what's that? And we, we run to it like a moth. They're not good for us. But that happens because we are not deliberately and intentionally seeking and set to seek the Lord. All of a sudden we're sort of going, yeah, I'm, I'm going to church most weeks and ooh, what's this over here? That's, well, that's, that's nice. I could do with one of those and one if it comes in a V8. Or Mondo, oh, that's, that's the latest technology. I, I do that. Or oh, this is a great new job. I can do this. And all of a sudden our life is sort of all over the place. Why? Because we are not set to seek the Lord. We are not set to do that. We're, we're kind of accidentally doing that. And so all of a sudden, we can go through life, we can go through our careers, we can go through our families, and we may do. But sometimes we get to the point where we go, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know how I got to this point. Oh, fair enough, I made some mistakes, but why, why this place? Who else can I blame? And God is trying to say, no, you need to set yourself on seeking me. And it's been great to hear stories from even people within our own church of times in their life where they, they set their heart on seeking a greater employment. And they pursued that with all their effort and all their heart. And what they found out, it doesn't bring me to a place where I know who I am and more importantly, that I know who God is. Maybe we get to a place where we go, I've just got to buy that house which has everything I want in it and then life will be good and I can give God everything I have and all of a sudden the pursuit of our life becomes something else. It takes us away from where God wants us to be. Or maybe it's like a little bit more recognition and pride and, and again that's something that's really grabbing at the hearts of our young people is this idea of being popular on things that aren't real like Facebook. The idea of popularity, and again, it came through in different ways, maybe when I was a bit younger, but this idea of, of being more important it actually was this promise of greater value in our life. And all of a sudden, because I was, if I wasn't set on knowing God and following Him and to set to seek the Lord, all of a sudden I would settle anywhere and everywhere but where God wanted me to be. And I'm not sure about you, but is there something that you are either valuing more than seeking God or are you a bit aimless at the moment? Are you a bit in the place where, yeah, God, you'll say, yeah, I believe in God, I, I, but I'm, I'm not really 100% seeking Him all the time. I'll, I'll be at church when I can. I'll get into my Bible when I can. I'll pray when I have to. When things, things are going bad, that's when I'll pray. But you know what? Each one of us here, it doesn't matter how young or how old you are, can actually do this. You can actually deliberately, intentionally set your, your face to seeking the Lord, to know Him more. 
if you are four years old and up, you can seek the Lord. If you are a bit older, you may have better ways of seeking Him. But the thing is, this is this may be the question. Like, okay, you're trying to go. What, so, what do I have to do to seek the Lord? What are, what are the two steps I need to seek the Lord, and I'll do it, and I can seek Him. Okay, just to put it this way. Imagine you were dating, and you said to your girlfriend, because I'll put this on to the guys. What two things do I have to do to make you happy and I'll do them and I'll check off the list? If you do that, you'll be checked off the list very quickly. Okay, so that's a tip for you younger people. Like, it. But if you go, oh, what do I have to do? And I'll tick it off and you tick it off and they'll be ticked off. So it won't be a good place to be. But the thing is, the same way you pursue any relationship, you put time into it. You put effort into it. You actually... Open yourself up to it, like you sort of let God in, and you let sort of you let God sort of know who you are. And the same way, we've got to find ways of doing that. So prayer is a way that we communicate with God, and prayer is not always about, um, dear God, uh, here is my list. Um, do you want me to read it out to you, or can you read it from up there? That's that's sometimes how we pray. Um, God, you just want me to email off so you've got a hard copy or electronic copy of it so you know what you need to do and, and I'll just wait for the response. My prayer is actually about spending time with God. For some of you, it might be actually letting God speak to you. Now, sometimes you might not like what you hear. But I guarantee if God is saying something to you, it is a good thing for you to listen. Because God is wanting to do something great in your life. And so we need to be intentional about sort of letting go of those other things that we are pursuing and actually really setting our focus on, on following God. Because in doing that, all of a sudden, we become less worried about who is the boss in our life and going, you know what? God's got a better way for me. God's got a, a different path for me. And I can walk in that because I'm setting my focus. And I don't know about you, like, but I know there's been times in my life where I have desired something more than desiring God. There's been, there's probably been a number of times, as I, if I, more that I think about it. I've, sometimes, you know, even as a pastor, I've desired to have a better church. Not to say, like, I, I want bigger and, and brighter and, 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 like, all of a sudden we've got... And all of a sudden, my heart's desire is not about seeking God. It's about, oh, my glory. Oh, but God, I want a bigger church so your kingdom can grow. Oh, I'm doing this for you, God. Then why am I back here and you're over here? Oh, God, I'm, I'm just... And that's the thing, sometimes we use God as the excuse for actually not following him. Now, how much do you think that'll fill God? Like, it might fill your kids, it might fill your, your husband or wife, it might fill your boss. I was just doing this for you. And they go, oh, okay, that doesn't really make sense, but I'll believe you this time. That won't work with God. God knows what he's asked us to do. And we turn around and say, but God, I did this for you. As it says in Matthew, depart from me, I do not know who you are. And so today, I really want you to ask that question, not at the end of things, because I suppose sometimes we, sometimes even as Christians, we do things to actually um, get something out of it. 
Anyone here ever prayed to get something out of it? Okay, I have. Yep, yeah, I, I, I do that quite often. But sometimes I go, oh, well, this is God, I'm going to pray and hopefully you'll, you'll answer me. Or I'll, I'll do something nice for people so maybe they'll do something nice for me in response or do the thing that I really want them to do. Or, or maybe I'll, I'll do this so that this person will do that. I expect a certain outcome. This idea of, of setting your, your mind to seek the Lord is not about so much getting something out of it. It's not a means to an end. It's actually preventing you to get from getting to the end. Preventing you getting to a place that you don't want to be. And so when we are deliberate about seeking the Lord and knowing Him and following Him and finding out more about Him and finding out about who we are in Him, all of a sudden we have the potential to walk on the path without getting dragged 50 different directions, without falling in love with something else other than God along the way because we are deliberate about seeking the Lord. And what was said about Rehoboam? He did evil because he did not seek the Lord. When we are not putting God in that position, when we are letting our desire be the rule of our life, we get to a place where we can end up with our head in our hands, wondering how did we get here? But God says there's a way that I can guarantee that won't happen. Seek me, know me, follow me. And I don't know, some of you might be in a place today that you don't even know God. Well, you can do the same as everyone else. Seek to know more about him. Seek the Lord and find out who he is and what he wants to do for you. Some of you young people might be sort of thinking about your plans for your future and like, what, what do I do with my life? Well, don't worry about that first. Firstly, seek the Lord. Some of you might be thinking about finishing your career or changing careers. Firstly, seek the Lord and what he wants for you. And let him be the one that guides you through those things. Let's just take some time to pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who wants to make himself known to us. I pray that we are able to overcome the desires that drag us away from you, the desires that we put, um, like that just sort of jump up out of nowhere and draw us away from knowing you and knowing what you want for us. I pray that we are deliberate about getting into your word and through that, getting to know the God who loves us. Taking time to pray where we can actually, again, connect our heart with yours and, and seek you intentionally. Maybe it's, it's, it's by coming to church with the purpose of, of lifting you up in worship and, and seeking to see your glory and realizing that you are up there and we are humble down here. And all of a sudden, we don't feel like we are in charge, but we are happy that you are. Lord, there may be other ways that you desire us to seek you, that maybe it's things that are blocking our view of you that you want us to remove. And I don't know what Rehoboam had in his heart, but in his heart, he did not seek you. And I pray that if there are things in our hearts and minds that are stopping us from seeking you 100%, that you would remove them. And you would let us see him clearly. That we would walk and, and, and as we walk, we would know you, we'd journey with you. I pray for the year ahead that it would be a year that 
we are intentional about seeking the Lord and knowing him and knowing who we are in him. I pray that you would keep us from a time where we would be left with our head in our hands, in despair, in, in frustration, in, in just questioning, our, our, I suppose, our, our purpose and our future, Lord, that we'd be, we would intentionally look to you and walk with you the way that you want us to go. We pray this in your name. Amen.